Well, good morning. So we've been uh, kind of working through a pretty uh, tough series, but at this point, if you're, if you're in high school, junior high, this is the moment in which you are free to go join our, our junior high and high school ministry out in the B Auditorium. So we uh, would love for you guys to get connected there, and some of the content um, there is going to be just uh, uh, better suited for you guys. But in the meantime, we are, uh, we're continuing on in this Soul Detox series. How many guys have been running into something that has just been working your life in, in the Soul Detox in some way? Throw your hand up. Just you, You've been working through something pretty deep pretty big. The rest of you, you're all perfect, right? That's how this works out. No, as a, uh, for me, it's been a bunch of different pieces here and there as you've been kind of working through it. Maybe some of you are just at the spot where you see it, but you're not quite sure what to do with it yet. You started your plan. Maybe in your group, you've been discussing stuff. Maybe you took up uh, Justin's challenge last week, and you've been kind of laying out every, for the last week, 15 um, thanks and 15 praises to God for every day. So you've got all those ready to go. There may be different ways you've been doing this, but one of the things for me in, in all of this is just, it can be exhausting. Soul detoxing is not something that's simple. What we're going through is we're asking God to open our hearts up, to open up our souls, to show us the garbage, to show us the mess, and to remove it. Now, there's an enemy who's going to be quick to want to shut the doors, to hide back those secret sins, to call us back to, uh, to the frustrations and the anger and the stuff that we had, to deal with, um, so, to deceive ourselves all over again, or, or let our language slip back into the negative. There's all these things we've been learning, and it's so easy to slide back so you can get worn out. But I want to just challenge you guys to keep going. We got a couple more weeks and it's going to, you're going to start having a little bit more clear of a plan, hopefully, as you get moving. And as we dive forward, what we're going to be looking at is really uh, why this is so difficult. We've already discussed kind of the self-deception and opened that door, tried to clarify that we are deceiving ourselves, look at our hidden sins inside, try to allow those to come out. We talked about jealousy, anger, and envy, and all those pieces. And, and really, what we want to do is we want to get underneath it all. There is a root system that is holding this stuff together. And this root system reminds me of when I was nine. My grandmother, um, it was actually, I didn't know it was the last summer I'd ever spend with my grandmother. She died of cancer the next year. And um, as I was sitting in that backyard, she asked me to help her renovate her backyard. And it was one of those really awesome experiences as a kid to carry a bunch of red bricks around and put them in the ground and, yeah, and all this fun stuff. But one of the things she told me to do is get rid of this palm tree. You guys ever tried to get rid of a palm tree from the roots? It's not easy. And I'm nine. She's like, here's a breaker bar, one of those big black long bars. I'm like, you know, barely carrying it over there. And so it took me about three days to even get the roots exposed. And then I think my uncle had to come in and finish the job. But it taught me and gave me a very deep hatred for palm trees. And... I don't like them in my yards. I don't like them around. I just dislike palm trees. But uh, and that's probably where it came from. And, that, and uh, obviously HOAs and uh, unsweetened iced tea. So I got a lot of problems. But the, uh, the idea here is it, is it was interesting to me that the root system was so difficult to pull up. And that's what we're going to discover as we're detoxing. It's a root system of life in our souls that we are trying to pull out. And it's going to take a lot of work, especially when we realize the root system, scripturally speaking, is really this idea of bitterness. So now we're going to focus in on this concept of bitterness because I got a lot of it uh, personally, just so you know. I grew up in a weird situation on a street where I was one of the youngest boys on my street. And routinely, I didn't get to make friends. I got to be their punching bag, basically. And so I grew up in, in, in junior high. I wish I could just press delete and just skip that section of life. And, and it gave to me 
me a real sense of anger towards, um, towards one category of person. And that's the cool people of the world. I don't know why. But that was it. Me and my wife would start talking, and, and we'd start talking about people who were perceived as cool. And I would get this attitude. And she's like, what is wrong with you? I'm just like, no, I, I just don't believe this. I think that they're selfish. I think they were out for their own good. And the reason I believe these things is I routinely had guys who wanted to be more popular and more cool use me as their favorite stepping stool to show that they were definitely awesome guys, especially on the basketball team. And so I have built up this radically deep-centered distaste and anger for anyone cool. You may now leave. You're not welcome. I'm just kidding. Uh, yeah. No, I, and I'm something I've been dealing with because I realize it, it doesn't have anything to do with that. It has everything to do with inside of me and the wrongs that were done to me. But what I've done is I've taken this category of people and it all centers really around one dude, one particular guy, and I've put them in contempt. I've said, you are guilty of, of, of being insulting to me and therefore you may now sit in the prison cell of my mind until you've decided to change. Now, this guy doesn't even know I've done this. But what that is, is that's a seed. And that seed has rooted itself into bitterness throughout my heart. And and there's a lot of other things that can show up there, but all of us probably can find somewhere in our life where you've been mis- Treated, where you've had an injustice, where you've ran into a situation where somebody has caused you wrong, betrayed you, or you didn't get your expectation, and you've come to the place where honestly you've put them in contempt, you locked them in a cell in your heart, and you've told them to stay there until they fix it. And that bitterness starts to grow. In fact, what's strange is some of us may even have God in that cell, or the church or a particular Christian. I, routinely, I meet atheists and people who when they start talking, when you start asking about the church, they had one bad experience, and so the entirety of it is all the same. This is a normal, common human thing, and it's bitterness. And it's something we all run and traffic in. And it's going to be tough today, but I'm asking you guys to take out the breaker bar and start digging in the ground because we need to uproot this stuff if we're going to continue forward in removing the things and having the language transformed in our, in our mouths. If we're going to see ourselves begin to, to be the kind of people who, who are able to engage life in a positive and God-living manner because bitterness grows from the desire for justice, but ultimately it chokes, us, chokes out of us the ability to know God's heart. And so we start with this idea of bitterness like a root, grows deep, and can kill life. I want, I want you to see this. It's in the book of Hebrews. Grab your Bible. Open up to Hebrews 12 at 15. We're actually going to try to reference this uh, a few times, so it's, it's good that it would be open on your lap or on your, on your device. And uh, so Hebrews chapter 12, the, the author is speaking about this whole conversation of how Jesus has perfected us and we're supposed to live like him. We're supposed to walk in his ways. And so he gets into this section and he says, strive for peace with everyone in verse 14 and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fall, fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it may become defiled. And this is interesting that he uses this conversation of this bitterness as a root that can grow up and then it causes trouble and then can defile. In fact, it's in contradiction. It's against, right here, the grace of God. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. And so bitterness and the grace of God are actually against each other in this text. 
And we need to see that so that we understand we can't get what God wants in our lives. We can't live out what he's called us to do if we retain in our hearts bitterness. This is a huge calling. This is going to be difficult. But Jesus was dealing with this conversation a lot. And when he talks in this agricultural picture, he talks a lot about trees and the roots and all this stuff. And one of the cases he says basically this about good and bad trees in Matthew chapter 7, verse 18. He says, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. And what is going on in us is that our roots have settled in and they're soaking and absorbing whatever we're sitting in. And I asked myself, well, what is, why root? Why use a root? And a root is a picture of something that gains nutrients from whatever it's sitting in. And guess what? If you're sitting in negative thinking, if you're sitting in judgmental thought, if you're constantly playing over, and you don't constantly do this, but when somebody comes in your view that you're bitter about, whether it's a cool person or whether it's a boss or whether it's a, a, a governmental official or whatever it is that has drawn you to this anger and you've nursed it, the more you rehearse the wrong, the stronger the root gets. And the more you rehearse this problem, meditating on others' wrong, we make the root stronger. And when we make the root stronger, we bear bad fruit because we're absorbing. We're absorbing these bad things and we're producing bad fruit. It's the trouble that he's talking about here in Hebrews chapter 12. What this is going on is that you and I are putting ourselves in the seat as the judge. And we're looking at all these people who have committed wrongs against us. And we're taking our gavel and we're saying, guilty. Guilty, guilty, guilty. And whenever we want, we will travel back to that time, bring it back up, and yell it again. Because we really know something's wrong. It's a fiction. We're all impotent. We're powerless over this event. And so it frustrates us to no end. I can't declare this guilty. I can't bring about the condemnation these people deserve. And it makes you literally bitter. You feel it. It's, it's a down feeling. This sense of disgust and criticalness that starts seeping into your souls. You're soaking it into your system. And this fiction isn't going to be fixed. In fact, many of us can take on this fiction to the point that we are bitter with God. We're sitting there looking at God going, you didn't let my life end up like I wanted it to end up. You took my mom away. You didn't let me have children. You killed my child. God, I hate you. And we've nursed it and it's become bitterness in us. And you can even be a Christian and still be bitter with God. And it may be the very thing that's holding you back from unleashing the biblical life that you've been waiting to live. Because you just cannot let go that God did this thing to you. Can I just tell you one thing? You're not bitter at the real God. You're not bitter at the true God. Say, what? Yes, I am. I mean, I'm bitter at the God who's in control of everything. Yes, but the God who's in control of everything according to Scripture never does anything wrong. He's never intended to harm you. He's never intended to hurt you. We may have perceived it that way, but we need to grasp that if we're going to move forward in this conversation. But right now, I just want to help you say, maybe some of you in this room are actually bitter at God over something. Maybe you're bitter at a person. 
You're bitter at a church, a pastor. You're bitter at a business associate, something like this. We need to identify it now at the beginning if we're going to start moving forward because we need to see that we're rehearsing something. We're soaking it in, and it's starting to affect us. As he says, at the end, it says, it's opposed to God's grace, but it may be, it may be, it defiles many. Look at the end of the verse in verse 15. And by it, many are defiled. And so bitterness spreads and destroys more than just us. At first it destroys us. At first it brings us that trouble. And a little bitterness can go a long way. In Galatians 5, 9 it says this, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And this is a picture that I got to, my wife kind of took off one night. She's hanging out with her, her friends. And she's like, hey, just make pizza. I'm like, make pizza. Yeah, that's so simple. Can I order pizza? No, nah, just make it. We got a bread maker or something like that. Just pull out the instructions. I'll tell you what to do. And I sit there going, okay. So I'm playing, you know, I put it all together and I get it in there. And, and then I, I, I'm trying to find the yeast. It's supposed to be, it's not labeled. And so I'm looking around going, that looks like sugar. I know that's flour. And then there's this little box of weird looking stuff. Yeast is ugly. It's living creatures, you know that? It's, it's just like, that's gross. You're throwing living creatures inside your food. You're like, yeah, make it rise. You know what that means? They're eating this stuff and, you know, causing air, quote unquote, to come into your, they're passing gas in your bread, man. <laughs> They're making it rise. These little, little groupers are growing and then multiplying. It's like, whoa. That's, you know, some of these, that's how sourdough works, right? You have a certain line of yeast that keeps that sourdough just right and lets all the germs grow in it so it's the appropriate size and taste. But oh, us humans, we're great. And the point is that this is what leaven does. It's just a little bit. You don't need a lot. Just put enough in and it spreads through the hole. So there's no bite in it that you're not going to enjoy some yeast something in there. And this is what bitterness does. Just enough of it, just a little bit, starts to embitter the rest of you. It grows. It spreads. It grabs hold of your relationships. It grabs hold of the way of thinking. It starts to spread even to your children. If you're critical, you'll find your children will become more critical. If you're bitter, you'll find bitterness can flow into your kids. You'll find it'll flow into your spouse. If you're married to a bitter person, it's real hard sometimes not to get bitter, either at them or bitter at the person that they're bitter at. Because you want to support your spouse. You don't want to be there going like, I'm really angry at this guy at work because he did this horrible thing to me and robbed me of this money and did these things. And she's sitting to go, well, you're bitter. You're not going to do that. Because he's going to go, now I'm bitter at you. You know, that's just not how you want it. We end up supporting each other and we enter into bitterness together. And we start griping and complaining together. And in fact, you can, it becomes like an inside conversation in your own family. And it's just nursing this bitterness, rolling it around. And this is insane because it begins to be this, this depth of struggle. And it spreads sin. And it makes us critical. What's the spread of sin? Well, it's really interesting. It starts as wanting to judge somebody. It'll move then into considering them in certain ways. Your language will change about them or that group of people. You'll actually use language that judges their hearts. Well, they're just always this way. I hate those people. They lie all the time. You'll start watching for the person to do wrong, and then you'll just write it down on a list. You're just prepared for any slip-up, any mistake, any problem, and it just confirms what you've been thinking. Can you imagine having a relationship with somebody like this? You almost tiptoe around them because you're just not sure how are they going to respond. What are they going to do? That's why people, when they come to church, if you came to church today and you're thinking, man, everybody's judging me here. You may have been judged somewhere before. 
And it's not an, I don't think there's anybody in this room who's intentionally trying to judge anybody when they're sitting here. But bitterness can make us critical. Bitterness can lead to other sins. It can lead to, what's interesting is you'll discover in most cases of most addicts, deep down inside is a root of bitterness that led them to be so critical and angry at something, their emotion and their pain had to be absorbed into alcohol or into sex or into drugs or something like that because what they needed to do was get this feeling out of them and they just pushed it off somewhere else. And so it spreads it begins to develop into other things. It begins to bloom. In fact, you start to rejoice in other people's misfortunes. They lost their job. Yes! They deserve that. Craig Rochelle, in his book, Soul Detox, says he's writing about this subject, experienced it deeply, as his sister, when she was young in elementary school, was sexually abused by a, a teacher. This guy had been caught, and all these things had happened, and and him and his family, he, he was just so angry, so seething, because they couldn't punish him enough. They couldn't get what they wanted. They couldn't personally do it. He said he lived with it for years and years and years. Finally, one day he heard that this guy was dying of a very horrible disease. And he admits in his book, he said, I was extremely happy. It was, he thought, it, almost to the point where he's saying, like, God was answering my prayers. You guys, we can get to the place where we are so bitter, so enraged, so frustrated, so bent in this area. We want and like it when the object of our bitterness suffers. This is how insidious this is. And here's the thing. We're all there, but you may not think you're there. You may not think you're there at all. Because you are justified. They actually harmed you. They did a wrong, and they are wrong. Dang it. You probably don't even use dang it. You probably use worse words than that. Because they're wrong, and it upsets you, and it was a wrong evil, and they need to be judged, and how dare you tell me I'm not allowed to be mad at those people. I get it. I'm there. I've been there. Guys, it's the very proof the bitterness has caught our hearts. In fact, the scary thing is, is when bitterness is there, it will lead as a catalyst to other sins. Let me give you a great example. If you're new to your Bible, you'll run into a situation in the book of, uh, of a person named Absalom in, the, in 2 Samuel chapter 13. I want to take you to that story. We don't have time to detail the entirety of the, of the chapter out, but what I really want you to do is get into this and see the depth of this and realize what's going on here is that Absalom has found a horrible wrong that's occurred. He had an older brother named Amnon, and he had a sister named Tamar. And Amnon, who is David, the king David's son, and he's supposed to take over the throne, have to receive the throne in this time. He looks over, and he sees his sister Tamar and goes, oh, man, she's awesome and gorgeous, different moms, same dad, and decides that he's going to uh, manipulate this into a situation where he basically rapes her. David, in the midst of this whole frustration and fear, sits there seeing all this, and Absalom acts. He takes his sister into his home, protects and provides for her fully and completely, and waits for his father to do something, but David does nothing. Nothing. Sits quiet, un, almost unconcerned, it seems, in the text. And it implies that what's festering in Absalom's soul is a desire for justice so much that he decides he's going to take it into his own hands. 
He rises up and sets up a party, invites his father first as a manipulative tactic to make sure that it looks like it's normal. His dad says, I can't come. And he knew he couldn't. So he says, okay, how about I bring Amnon then and I'll bring the rest of the brothers. And David kind of goes, you sure? He's like, yeah, this is important. Pulls them together and in the midst of this, murders his brother Amnon in order to bring justice. And you'd think at that point, the bitterness and the desire for vengeance would relax. No, no, no. It had flowered into far more than just hatred towards his brother Amnon. At this point, he flees and runs away. David does, does a little bit of pursuit, doesn't do a whole lot. And by the time you get to then chapter 15, Absalom is back in life, back in the city of Jerusalem, back in fellowship with his dad because his father forgave him for, of all of this and still didn't do anything. And Absalom begins to let his bitterness take him one step further. He sets himself up in the city gates where a king would sit. And he starts saying, you don't need to go see my dad. Come visit me. I'll give you justice. He starts viewing himself as the guy who really knows how things work. I really get how justice should happen. I really understand this. And so he starts to convict uh, and deal with these people. And they start to go, oh, this guy really does act. He's really, and he starts a coup. Kicks his own father out of the kingdom. Tries to kill his own dad and winds up himself dying in his rebellion. Bitterness becomes a catalyst for our own sin. Because we think we're justified in doing it. If you think you're justified in the anger that you hold, it is so near bitterness, you need to be very, very careful. It is, it is, I'm just going to say it is bitterness. And if it's causing you to begin to act out in critical mindedness, anger, and you even envision how you might deal with it, it is taking you in a journey where it's about to flower. And it is a dangerous thing when it flowers. Because it is taking vengeance into our own hands. And we cannot, cannot possibly allow these kind of things to go on. You know why 9-11 happened? We just did 9-11 last week. 9-11 is an instance of bitterness. I really believe this. You see, when you step back and you look at what's occurred in history, when you zoom back, not just all the way back, Islam is founded in, this, in a consideration of justice and justice alone. Allah is a God of justice. He desires just action, just righteousness, and only justice. He is not a God of mercy. He is not declared that way. In fact, mercy and forgiveness in the Islamic world is considered kind of an oddity. When you have some wrong done to you, you do wrong, you do it, you get vengeance. You put the scales of justice back. And at the rise of Islam, as it begins to view itself as the conquering kings of the world to bring about the rule of God, along comes the church and the medieval world to go, no, 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 and in come the crusades. You know one of the first things that they'll talk about in any apologetics is the crusades. They're still angry at a group of people Way back, they've nursed this bitterness. And this bitterness has grown in different departments. The bitterness continued as, it, as they rose into this caliphate, which was destroyed in World War I and divided up by the West. Again, viewed as Christians so that they couldn't be in their own giant, powerful empire any longer. And in their bitterness, as it seethed in certain groups, the desire for vengeance and the desire for the return of what they had because this is wrong to them has led them to the actions that we see today. It's a vengeance cycle. And what I, fear, what I fear the most is that we as a Christian church in America might continue in the same vengeance cycle. Individually, corporately, 
What a government needs to do is what a government needs to do, but our hearts need to be of the kind that do not savor and enjoy bitterness. It does not lead us to declare evil upon a people, but that we would be willing, as God was willing, to love and sacrifice ourselves in order to reach a people who are strangling themselves in bitterness. But before we can do any of that, it has to begin here. It has to begin in our hearts. We have to kill the root of bitterness in us and in our church. Amen? And if we don't, we're going to miss the heart of God. How do we cut out bitterness? We cut it out with forgiveness. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31 to 32, in the section where God, where God is telling the church how to live and act, he says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Throw it out. Get rid of it. Just remove it along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiveness. Forgiveness is the core, the key to a dis- It is the acid and the poison you pour on the roots of bitterness. It's the antidote to the problem. How do I know this? Where, how do we know? The only answer is because God's told us. So, so what does that mean? Well, let me put it this way. A lot of us have nursed bitterness a long, long time. I have a sycamore tree, back, or I had a sycamore tree back at my old house. And uh, my wife and I were always trying to get it cut right and stuff. I tried to do it myself one year. And we were just trying to, what season is it you're supposed to trim the tree at? And we were always missing it because we'd always forget. And so for seven years, this thing just grows. And it is the biggest tree on the block, which we kind of liked because we like big trees. But this thing's huge, just gigantic. And, and we're like, this is a, but the problem with a gigantic, wonderfully big, beautiful tree is they got big roots. And those big roots like to move things like concrete and water lines and stuff like that. So we're looking at these big roots and we're going, we got to cut some of these roots out. We got to chop this thing down, get it more manageable. That's going to be really expensive because the bigger the tree, the bigger the roots. And the bigger the roots, the bigger the problem. The bigger the check you're going to have to pay for the person who's going to tear those roots out. The same thing with bitterness. Some of us have a huge, huge, huge tree of bitterness growing in our lives. And you and I, even together, are not capable of cutting this out ourselves. I'm too busy tearing out my roots to turn around and help you tear out your roots. We need something bigger than our bitterness. And that bigger is God. The God of the Bible. I'm not talking about the little American God that sits out there who, who loves people and is willing to forgive because he has to. And, you know, not that God. I'm talking about the God of the Bible, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the Father of Jesus. You see, this God, according to Scripture, had every right to be bitter. I mean, you want to talk about somebody who's had wrong done to him. Every single sin and evil done by any human being since the beginning of time has been done against him. You see, he made us in his image. Every human being in this room is made in the image of God. Every human being that's ever existed is made in the image of God. We're made to represent God, to live out how God would live on this earth if he were here as us. We are supposed to represent him. What did we represent him as? Murderer, liar, jerk, pornographer, gossip, 
a wretched, wretched, angry, vile, mean God of the universe who's just throwing a temper tantrum. That's how we represent God. Every single sin, every single act, from time all the way back to whenever humanity stops, is all against him. If God had a right to be mad at anything and to be bitter, I think he's got the right. And one day he will judge. One day he has the right to judge. He's the creator. He's God. And he'll judge rightly. He's not going to do it wrongly. He's not going to just smash people because I'm ticked off. He's, no, his, his, his wrath is slow to anger, as we saw. But this God is huge. Because you know what he did? With all that insult, with all that sin, with all that harm, with all that hurt, with all that stuff that we've piled onto him, he forgave he forgave. And you think, well, yeah, God has to forgive. No, 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 no. Wrong God. You got the wrong God. The God of the Bible has to judge. He does not have to forgive. See, good gods judge sin because they're just and they hate evil. Good gods look at sin and they get angry and they deal with it. And the God of the Bible is perfect and good and he deals with evil. He doesn't have to forgive. And it wasn't easy for him to forgive. And see, what God did in order to forgive us who have insulted and harmed and sinned against him so many times is that he came himself as a human being to live in our suffering and mess and squalor and problems and to imbibe himself in human living and existence only to watch as we rebelled against him and crucified him on a cross where on that cross he willingly bore our sins so that we could be forgiven. I think we could learn a lot from a God who's willing to go through that to forgive us. A God who's willing to say, I am willing to bear the wrath on myself so I don't have to judge you. God is not bitter. He's just. He's loving. He's good. And he's forgiving. And he can teach us what it means to forgive. And we have to start there because we need to be able to give our bitterness to God if it's going to change. And all our bitterness is, is a desire for vengeance. Bottom line, it's a desire for vengeance that we've nursed. And what we need to do, if we're going to see God transform us, we're going to see him take this root out, then we need to have that, see that that desire for vengeance is a sin. And we need to turn away from it. We need to repent. As a people, I'm talking to Christians here this morning. If you're not a Christian, you, you need to hear that you, we should all do this. this. We need to rid ourselves of bitterness. It destroys life. But as Christians, guys, we need to see that our desire for vengeance against other people is a sin. We need to repent. What does repent mean? It means turn away from you being the judge and turn to the good God who is judge. Realize that when we were judge, we would have overpunished people. Do you believe that? Do you believe that if that person ever came in front of you and God gave you the chance, okay, you can judge him now, that you would have gone overboard? You wouldn't have been able to do exactly the right thing? You'd have been like, I'm going to Hulk smash. You know, just like ready to destroy them. I, that's where I would have been. But God's going to do it exactly right. He's either going to bring them to know his son, Jesus Christ, and be forgiven, or if they reject that, he's going to be exactly precise on the day of judgment. Not too much, not too little. 
Exactly right. And when we see our desire for vengeance as a sin, meaning that we're taking it upon ourselves, then we will turn away from it. The Proverbs say this. Notice this in Proverbs chapter 24. Do not say, I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay the man back for what he has done. That is a statement of vengeance. Don't say it, the Proverbs advise. Don't do this. In fact, in the book of Romans, it goes on to put it this way. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. We give it over to God. So the first thing that you need to do is if you're there, if you've got this bitterness, we've unearthed it, we're looking at this thing, we're looking at that person, we got this mess in our hands, we need to take it and say, God, I'm not the judge. They did wrong. You're not forgetting what happened. You're giving it appropriately away to one who can deal rightly with it. And this is important because if we're bitter with God, we're not even going to be able to do this. If we're sitting there throwing a fit thinking our way should be the highway and everything should bend around me in the universe and God didn't uphold what I wanted, you're God. And if anything that you need to repent from, it's to realize theology 101. You need to come to the realization there is a God and you're not him. Hardest statement to believe. But it's the one that begins everything. You're not God. And so we need to stop thinking that it should all center around us and be about us and fulfill our needs and, and I should be able to buy everything I want. Blah, blah. That's an American reality. And it's not reality, totally. And we need to realize God is God. We are not. And we need to give it over to him. So we need to turn away. We need to see this as sin. We need to turn. And we need to start. This turn begins by this. It is very clear you've turned when you're able to turn around and pray for the person. Pray for that person you're angry with. Pray for that institution you're angry with. I've been asking God to bless HOAs all week. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah, haven't got there yet. No, but just working through this to say, God, bless this. God, bless this. Notice what Jesus says about our enemies in the book of Matthew. He says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Who wants to be a child of God? How many of you guys want to be a child of God? Amen. Doing it while we need to love our enemies. We need to pray for our enemies. If we're bitter with somebody, we ought to be praying for them, praying all blessings upon them, praying for them and on their side. That's what Jesus means. He's not praying like, God, I'm lifting up my enemy right now. Squash him. You know, that's not what we're praying. Because the Father brings the sun to rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. He is impartial. He allows things to roll out until the day of judgment. And so we need to get to this place where we're able to just release the person, bless them. Craig Rochelle talks about what he did when he, he started to pray for this man. He said it was the hardest thing in the world to do is to come to realize that he needed to bless this guy. He started writing to him. And he, and he sent these letters declaring the gospel to him as this guy was dying in his hospital bed. And it was tearing him up. But God was working through him. And so we need to ask for the courage to forgive the person. And we need to do that daily. It can't just be once. Too many of us have done this. You've tried to deal with bitterness by going, God, I forgive them. All right, I'm good. And in 10 minutes, you're already talking about him again. Anybody there? Am I the only person on the planet that has this problem? No, obviously. 
And what we do is we need to ask for daily. Notice what Jesus teaches us in, the, in the, his prayer. He says, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. How often do you pray this prayer? Give us this day our what? Daily bread. You can't pray for your daily bread once a week. You got to pray for it daily. And so it's a daily prayer. And it means that daily then you're praying to forgive us of our debts as we've forgiven our debtors. Forgive me of my sins, God, as I forgive, as I forgive those who sinned against me. Well, Jesus makes it very explicit later. He says there's no exceptions in this prayer because in verse 14, just two verses later, he says if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. He literally says, if you're not going to act like me and be my child, you're not my child. My children forgive because they're forgiven. There's a one-to-one correspondence. And so bitterness should not be amongst us. It should be dealt with and rooted and torn out wherever we find it. Repenting from vengeance, giving it to God, praying for our enemy, praying for those who have harmed us, allowing God to transform us and doing it daily. Not easy, not easy at all. And Craig Rochelle went on, and I, and I, I, I appreciated this final point that he laid into his section. He said, you need to do it as soon as you have the chance, while you can. Act while you can. You see, he waited and waited and waited, and finally when he sent those things, he had sent it, and he was going to go visit the guy, and finally found out he had died. And he felt horror. like, I had a chance. Maybe I could have made this right or done something like that. Found out from the nurse that he had received Christ in the time. If he hadn't acted, he would have missed out. But he, he had received Christ from the letters. And he said it blew him away. And he had to sit there and realize this guy he's hated all these lives, all, the, all his life practically, was now going to be his brother in eternity. Right there will show you if you're bitter. If you can't imagine the one who has harmed you, walking with you as your brother or sister in eternity, healed and you love them, we've got a long process ahead of us. Because that's what we would hope for even our worst enemies, amen? That they would be walking in eternity with us. Why is it that I think we're stunted as a church in reaching out in evangelism? It might be that we just don't like those people out there. Do you want to know who's bitter at us? Those people out there who think we don't like them. They can't imagine walking through heaven with you and me. And that has to be overcome. The first, we can't take this into a vengeance cycle. This needs to become a forgiveness cycle. This needs to become an opportunity for us to care, to love, releasing our enemies to God and bringing the news that God loves in such a great way he has forgiven people through his son, Jesus Christ. And we need to reconcile those relationships and be makers of peace. And we can't wait on that. We need to act while we still have time. So I want to give you a chance to begin those actions. Would you bow your heads with me? Right where you're at, maybe something or somebody's been processing through your mind throughout this whole thing. You've been resisting it or you've been bringing it clearly to your mind. 
I want to give you an opportunity right now to begin to release that to God. Just identifying it and telling it to God and, and realizing that you've been trying to hold on to this. In the meantime, some of you in this room, you, you don't have a great big God to help uproot this sin. You got the American God who will forgive you willy-nilly, but he's not actually going to deal with the evil. The God of the Bible will. And that God is calling you this morning to be forgiven because guess what? He's going to have to deal with your sin too. And he says, there will be a day where you will stand before him and you will deal with that sin. But the good news is that he is already willing to deal with it now by putting it on his son, Jesus, who died on the cross to bear sins. And he offers that to you today to be forgiven right now, to have dealt with your sin right now because he was willing to forgive you by bearing your sin on him. And he promises you that with the day that that judgment comes that he will look at you and say yours has been paid for I paid for it that's his promise to you not a willy nilly forgiveness a great cost and he did that not so you could just be forgiven but so that he could come into your life and establish a relationship with you the God of the heavens becomes the God who walks with you in life that doesn't make life perfect But he takes everything you will ever experience and he works it to the good. And this is all given by the promise of that if you would receive Jesus Christ as your sin bearer on the cross, that you would receive these things. And maybe it's this morning, it's time that you dealt with sin and you let God forgive you and bear your sin so that you can move on to forgive others as you have been forgiven. As it's been said, you can't give what you don't have. And God wants to give you this forgiveness. So this morning, maybe you're right there. You're ready to receive that forgiveness. If that's where you're at, we'd love you to indicate that to me. Just by putting your hand up, I want to walk you through a, a prayer, an opportunity to just verbalize that to God. But if that's where you're at right now, amen. Take this opportunity. Just right now, where you're at, if you raised your hand or you didn't, if you're ready to receive this, just take a minute and quietly to God. Tell him about the things that you know you need to be forgiven of. Now take a minute as you've indicated those things, just tell him that you trust that Jesus has taken those on the cross and that God has forgiven you. Tell him you've trusted his promise and he asked that he would come into your life and lead you from here. And God, I lift up those who have been praying this to you and 
I ask that you indeed would just come into their life, begin to transform and, and give them that sense of forgiveness. God, also for those in this room who have been forgiven and are dealing with our own sets of bitterness, that you would just continue to uproot it and reveal to us just the depth at which we've been angry and set us free to forgive. We pray that you would be exalted in these things. In Jesus' name, amen.